morning, everyone. So happy you're here. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. All right, I'm going to read a portion of um, Psalm 92 to get us started this morning. It says a psalm, like below the number, it says a psalm, a song to be sung on the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by the ten-stringed harp and the melody of the the lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O Lord, what great works you do, and how deep are your thoughts. So let's do that. Let's um, sing his praises in the morning, so if you would stand with us. Well, good morning and welcome to Regen. Uh, We are so glad to be with you this morning. Um, We're glad that we're all together and that it's warm outside, even though it was still snowing this morning. (laughs) Guys, what is the deal? Um, Every generation, we are passionate about interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. So I hope that this morning, that as we sing together, pray together, and hear from the Word of God together, that you'll find yourself interrupted by his love and grace. Um, Welcome. If you're new here, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Um, On your way out, we have mugs um, that are a gift to you for being a guest, and there's a card there that you can fill out. Um, Even if you're not brand new, but you're not getting the emails, and you want to find out about what's going on um, here at Regen throughout um, the week and um, just all of our extra things that we're doing, you can sign up on one of those cards, and you'll start getting our Reconnect emails, which come out every Wednesday. Um, if you're a Facebook user and you want to check in, you can use the hashtag RegenGives. And um, this is our last Sunday in April, and so it's the last Sunday that our donations will be going to Inspiring Minds in Warren, um, which is a great organization helping students kind of have a vision for something more for their lives. And then coming up on May 9th is our celebration of the Arts Night at McGuffey Schools, K-8, through just over in the northwest side of Warren. So um, we're still looking, I think, for some stations to be filled. So if you want to see Lindsay right here in the blue and black um, after, she'll be out by that same table with the mugs, and you can sign up for um, helping with different crafts and activities with the kids. Um, it's a really fun night. I encourage you to come and enjoy just being together and being um, with the kids as well. So, and then, um, they're coming up. Okay, and then Art and Pam are going to come up because they also have an announcement, and then after that, Aaron will come up for our offering. All right, we are really excited that there's this opportunity to take getting past your past from learning about it to doing something about it. And uh, we invite you either Wednesday, starting this Wednesday at the Grace Campus or here Friday at 6.30, it'll be 6.30 to 8, and we're going to go through a book. It looks a little intimidating, it's not. It's called Restarting, and it's about how to build your capacity to get past your past. It's, it's more than just saying, I'm going to get over that. Uh, often we don't have the capacity to do that. So here uh, in Lesson 4, four of the things you're going to learn to do. And you're going to read it because I left my... Returning to joy? Oh, build our capacity to return to joy 
from distress and increase our ability to regulate our own emotions. Illustrate how others act like themselves, spark memories to find our own stories, and build bonds and create a group identity. So community, we're going to talk about that next week, but this is about building community. You need community, and we're glad to be, we're glad to be with you too. Super glad, so thanks. Yo. We're going to take offering now. Um, so if you want to go ahead and pray with me. Jesus, thank you um, so much for being here this morning with us. Thank you for being um, among us and around us and um, within us. Thank you for the way that you are going to speak to us today. Thank you for um, just the way that um, you give us our, your heart um, and that you, you let us um, see that in a way that is super real and super impactful in a, in a way that um, that shapes us and that changes us and that heals us and forms us ultimately into who you created us to be. Um, God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to mirror your generosity with ours. Um, we thank you that we get to um, work with you to build the kingdom um, super excited for that. So God, we just ask that you would take our offering um, and multiply it and put it to good work in your kingdom. Amen. God, we um, I'm singing that song and I'm thinking about how you have promised to always be with us, so that's not a new thing, but what what is new um, or what the new possibility is this morning is that because you really could do a miracle anytime. You're God. You can do whatever the heck you want anytime you want it. But today, in this moment, because our hearts are just kind of in this place, God, we might have the opportunity to see it and recognize it for a miracle instead of just a bad taco or a coincidence. And so, God, I pray for miracles for my friends today and for my family. God, I pray that you would break through what needs broken through. Jesus, I just want so badly for each one to know transformation to know you. And so, Father, my prayer is that, they, uh, that, we, that we would hear your voice today, that we would be transformed, that we would be changed. Help us to hear you today, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome. Welcome. Kids are going to go back with Miss Caitlin, who I just saw and is no longer there, but I'm, oh, there she is, ta-da! Okay, here I am, Lord, send me. Um, welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle, and I get to be the pastor here, and I am super excited. Today, we're in the second to last week of our series, Getting Past Your Past, um, and today we're going to talk about the Christian F word known as forgiveness. Nobody likes it. Everybody needs it. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know how to articulate this well. Um, my desire as your pastor is, um, is to never offer you something that I don't have, to never um, hand you a brochure like a travel agent. I don't want to be a travel agent handing you brochures to places I have not been. And uh, the reason I bring that up is like there's just something going on in my soul like the last six weeks and God is basically rewiring everything. I have followed Jesus since I was in eighth grade and 
even really before then, and yet there is something. Uh, I, I don't know. I thought something happened. I don't know. Uh, there's something going on inside of me that uh, I think is going to be huge for me. And so my prayer all the time is that you would, um, Paul writes this thing in Galatians, my children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you is how I feel about y'all a lot of the time. And I'm really hoping that this series and what we do helps you experience Jesus. I'm fancy Kyle today. Somebody at Grace Campus said I'm like a mullet. I'm party on the bottom, business on top. <laughs> so I don't know what that means, but we're going to be in um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. We're kind of looking at the life of a man named Joseph, not the story of a man named Joseph, because Joseph was real. We're looking at the life of a man named Joseph, recorded in the book of Genesis. And if you're just jumping in, I'll kind of give you a little bit about his life in a minute. Here is something that sounds true, but is not true. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Sounds like the Bible is not something that God would say. Here's something that sounds like it is true, but it is not true. God cannot give you more than you can handle. Here is something that is not true that sounds true. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Does anybody like to take a guess at who does never forgive and forget? Answer is Jesus. Jesus forgives and remembers. And yet, and Isaiah says, I, I am the Lord, I am the one who blots out your transgressions, I separate your sins from you, I remember them no more. What does that mean? Is forgetting healing? Is forgetting all we need to get past our past? See, that's what Joseph thought. Joseph thought all he needed to do was forget. Joseph's life which uh, begins in Genesis 37, is one giant disappointment. One, one long heartbreak. It, it, begins, it begins where Joseph is uh, the favorite of his father, which incites the, the jealousy of his ten brothers. Uh, and so they plot to kill him. And just as they're about to end his life, it just so happens, as luck would have it, quote-unquote, that a caravan of slave traders comes by, and so his brothers sell Joseph into slavery. Joseph ends up in the house of an Egyptian named Potiphar and quickly rises up the ranks of Potiphar's house and yet uh, is falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. And so Joseph is thrown in prison for years. Uh, some people get into jail with him that become his friends and promise that when they return to the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, they'll get him out of jail too. But two years goes by while Joseph is forgotten in prison while he just kind of sits there and rots until he comes out of prison at Pharaoh's request, interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and becomes the chief operating officer of the most powerful nation in the world at his time. And, and while everything he touches turns to gold, and from the, the cushion and privilege of Pharaoh's house, Joseph has two sons. One he names and says, God has forgotten, God has caused me to forget all of my trouble and my father's family. He has another son and says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. He says, God has caused me to forget. 
And every indication at this point in the book of Genesis, which this is chapter 42 and 41, it gives the indication that, uh, that, that Joseph has gotten past his past, which is what this series is all about, that his past no longer creeps in and takes over, because that's what this series is about. What we do not transform in our past, we will transmit. And so we see uh, Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, a liar, manipulative, deceitful, pass that very same trait onto his son, Isaac. What we do not transform, we transmit. And pain from our past cannot stay in our past until it receives healing. And Joseph, it looks like he's received that healing. It looks like he has received all the restoration that he needs. God has caused me to forget all my troubles and to forget all my father's family. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my grief. And no sooner does Joseph utter these words than a few lines later, now it's a few years later in real time, but it's just a few lines later in the text, that Joseph's brothers come rolling back into Egypt. So much for forgetting. So much for leaving the past in the past, Rafiki. Uh, Remember the Lion King? It doesn't matter. It's in the past, right? So much for doing that. Instead, Joseph is now having to pass through not a gauntlet of forgetting, but forgiving. Joseph has to pass through a gauntlet, not of forgetting, but forgiving. We're going to be in Genesis 50, but I want to kind of give you the the run-up to that. If you went home today and read Genesis 42, 43, and 44, you would watch Joseph kind of engage in this dance that frankly is a little deceptive with his brothers. Uh, All of Joseph's brothers, save one, come down to Egypt to buy grain from the Egyptians because there is a famine that is going to last seven years that has struck the land of Egypt and struck the land of Canaan where Joseph and his family are from. And so 10 of his 11 brothers come to buy grain uh, from, from Egypt. Now one brother is held back by their father Jacob because Benjamin is Jacob's new favorite. Joseph was the favorite of his father and then when his brothers faked Joseph's death, uh, Benjamin became the new favorite. And so 10 of the 11 brothers go down and they are ushered into Joseph's presence. And Genesis 42 verse 8 says, Joseph recognized them, but they did not recognize him. Joseph looks on the face of his brothers, the men who threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, who have ruined his life. He looks on their faces and they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And so he uses this to his advantage. And in 42, 43, and 44, he gives them grain and sends them back to Egypt, sends them back to Canaan, and then they have to come back, then they have to go, and they have to come back, and there's all of this complicated dance, which if you read it, you wonder why we're kind of going round and round like this, and here is why Joseph needs to figure out if his brothers are worthy of forgiveness. Even more important, Joseph needs to figure out if his brothers uh, are worthy of relationship. Because these brothers have ruined his life. And so when the 10 brothers come, Joseph actually keeps one of the brothers with him, sends the nine up to Canaan and says, if you want your other brother back, you have to bring Benjamin, your youngest brother back with him because he wants to see if Benjamin is alive. If Benjamin is alive, it means that something has changed in the way his brothers operate. If Benjamin is alive, it means that they have changed, that they didn't kill Benjamin like they wanted to kill Joseph. And so he kind of does this dance and this tiptoeing, sticking first his toe in the water of relationship with his brothers, and then his calf, and then his thigh, until in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph reveals that he is, in fact, Joseph. And all of this was because he needed to figure out if there was safety in that relationship. And let me tell you why this is a really good thing. If you have been abused... Scripture does not tell you to run back into the arms of your abuser blindly. 
Scripture does not tell you to let your abuser off the hook like it's no big deal. Instead, Scripture gives us a lot of permission, and we'll talk about this in a minute, the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Scripture gives us a lot of permission to move slowly toward that relationship. That is all of Genesis 42, 43, and 44. And then in 45, it says this in chapter 45, verse 1. It says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were too many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them, Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. If this is your own Bible that you're dealing with, I would encourage you to underline that. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and preserve many survivors. Verse 8, so it was God who sent me here, not you. I would underline that too. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him. And and so basically Joseph gets the brothers to go back and bring all of his father's family back to the land of Egypt, to the land of Goshen where they're going to now hang out for the next little while. Uh, and Joseph's, uh, and then in verse 15 of chapter 45, then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Now that's, that's an interesting little note, that they began talking freely with him, because in like chapter 37, it said the brothers couldn't even speak a kind word to Joseph back then, and now they can speak freely. Joseph, by the way, chapter 45 is Joseph forgiving his brothers. After three chapters of kind of tiptoeing into relationship and trying to figure it out, in chapter 45, he forgives his siblings. But the interesting thing is it doesn't stay there, right? So Jacob and all of the wives and the brothers and their wives and their children, giant group of people come down and move to Goshen and they live there for a while. And then Jacob, Joseph's father, dies in uh, Genesis chapter 50. And so Pharaoh gives Joseph permission to go back up to Canaan to bury his father. And it actually says that like Pharaoh sent all of these royal advisors along to kind of watch the burial, right? Like basically Jacob is given a state funeral, right? Look at chapter 50, verse 14. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show us his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph, Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. The, The verb to weep is used 14 times in the book of Genesis. Joseph is the weeper. Nine of those 14 times, and this is the last time that Joseph weeps, and we'll get to that in a second. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down and said, look, we are your slaves. Talk about role reversal, right? We sold you into slavery, but now we are your slaves. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that, he, that I could punish you? 
You intended to harm me, verse 20, I would underline that of verse 50 if you got your own Bible, or even if it's the one in the pew, go ahead and we'll just figure out who did it later. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph is now in the place of forgiveness with his siblings. And he has come to a place where he has let them off the hook and forgiven the debt for what they had done to him. And that process began, that process began when he named his children, God has caused me to forget. The process of, that was the point of forgiveness. The process of forgiveness was chapters 42, 43, 44, 45, where Joseph re-enters relationship with them. And now he is in the place of forgiveness. Joseph lives in a consistent and sustainable place of forgiveness toward his brothers that hurt him. But the irony is that uh, his brothers haven't gotten there yet. His brothers haven't gotten there yet. And so this old family pattern of manipulation and deceit kind of creeps up out of the brothers and they send him this message. That's why Joseph weeps. Joseph weeps because it's not done yet. Joseph weeps because the family dysfunction is still there. Joseph weeps because it is heartbreaking to him that his brothers still live in the bondage of their past. That's why Joseph weeps. And Joseph, because he has processed his pain, because he has done the work of forgiveness and lives in the place of forgiveness, Joseph is able to look at his brothers and their hot mess and them kind of returning to a bad pattern. And he is able to say, don't be afraid of me. He says that twice. He says, don't be afraid in verse 19. And again, in verse 21, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And it says, then he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. As a side note, if you are the forgiver, if you are the forgiver, it is absolutely essential that you continue to remind the person you've forgiven that things are okay. This is why Second uh, Corinthians talks about restore them with gentleness. Because when you've forgiven somebody, sometimes they don't believe it and they're kind of a little tiptoey and you've got to be like, hey, we really are okay. Okay, Joseph spoke kindly to them. Joseph demonstrates to us in these chapters, this, this process of forgiveness, which begins with a decision at the point of forgiveness, the process of forgiveness, and then the place of forgiveness. And, and so I want to unpack this for a few minutes. Few things are as vital as forgiveness. Few things are as vital to the people of Jesus as forgiveness. Few things are as vital to the people of Jesus as forgiveness. Jesus treats every sin the same. Every sin has the same eternal uh, weight. And yet Jesus is more concerned, if you read the Gospels, with two kinds of sin, sexual sin and unforgiveness, because they are the most damaging to us. Same weight in God's eyes, not any worse in, in, our, in, in, in our sin against God, but ultimately more dangerous to us and to our souls. And this is why. Unforgiveness and bitterness are like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness and bitterness are like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, Jesus says, you, people will know you belong to me by your love for one another, and love absolutely necessitates forgiveness. Which is why Bob and Pam McRae, who did our couples conference, which footnote, they're coming back next year on February 23rd. Um... Bob and Pam said any good marriage is a union of two good forgivers. Right? Any good friendship is a union of two good forgivers. Any good sibling relationship is a union 
of two good forgivers because love and forgiveness go hand in hand. They absolutely have to go together. And in order to get past our past, we are going to have to, like Joseph, walk through the gauntlet of forgiveness. And we want to just do the forgetting and move on, but that's not enough. God will not settle with forgetting. He wants us to see forgiveness. And I want to slow down the action on the play of forgiveness and talk about the point, the process, the place of forgiveness. We'll talk about reconciliation too. The point of forgiveness is when we decide to forgive somebody. The point of forgiveness is when you decide to forgive somebody. And you decide to forgive them despite all the reasons you're right and you're wrong and they're wrong. You decide to forgive them apart from your emotions. You decide to forgive them despite all of the long list of things they've done right. You look at all of that and you set it aside and you say, I have decided I have decided to forgive them. That is the point of forgiveness. And listen to me, you have the power to begin this process. In our psychologized age, what we have done is equate forgiveness with a feeling. What we've done is we've equated forgiveness with a feeling. And, if, so, and, and the, but the problem with this is that feelings are terrible masters. They're pretty good servants, but they're terrible masters. If we wait for our feelings to kind of come along, so I feel like forgiving somebody, and I root my forgiveness in that feeling, what happens when the feeling goes away? And if I wait, if I wait for the feelings of like happiness and forgiveness to overtake my feelings of hurt and betrayal, I will never actually forgive somebody. Do you know why? Because living in unforgiveness is fun. It makes you feel right and justified and in control. And here's the real problem with forgiveness is you are letting go of control. You are letting go of control and trusting, by the way, our forgiveness comes from the belief that God is just. That in the end, that in the end, God will weigh all things, that he will punish people for what they are guilty for, he will reward them for what they've done right. That, that, is, why we, that is why we forgive because we release into the hands of God justice, right? unforgiveness is when we keep justice in our hand. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the arc, that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. So we forgive and let go of control and let go of justice for ourselves now, trusting that the arc of the whole universe kind of lands in this place where God will be just. And I, I can choose that. That is the point of forgiveness. I can choose it. I can choose it even if somebody has never asked me for forgiveness. Being asked for forgiveness is not a prerequisite of forgiving somebody. It is a prerequisite for reconciliation. We'll get there in a second. We have to decide to forgive in the same way I would decide to forgive if I loaned you 50 bucks and you never gave it back. If I loan Mitch 50 bucks and he doesn't pay me back, what do I do? If I love him, I just eat it. I move on. That is the point of forgiveness. The point of forgiveness is when I wake up one day and I decide I am going to let this go and you are in control of that. The point of forgiveness is followed by the process of forgiveness. And this is important because we think the point of forgiveness is the end, but it's not. It begins a process. The process of forgiveness is this daily prayerful process where we forgive somebody. I mean, sometimes it might mean waking up in the morning and as your feet hit the floor declaring like, Lord, I have released blank of their debt against me. Lord, I have released blank. I have forgiven blank of their sin. It might mean processing your feelings of unforgiveness in a safe place with safe people. And let me tell you what safe place and safe people are. Safe place, safe people isn't passive aggressive Facebook comment. 
And by the way, nothing will get you unfollowed from me faster than like the like, sometimes you just have to be strong. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we all have these friends that do this. Out. I don't have time for this. Unfollow, right? Do you know that Facebook does this new thing, mute for 30 days? Wonderful. (laughs) Right? Because I can see how I feel before I really land a decision. I have to process in a safe place with safe people. Safe people is less than three people who when you tell them about what happened to you, it will not affect how they feel toward that person. If Josh hurts me, and I tell Bonnie, and I tell Lydia, and I tell Dan, and I tell Alex, and I tell Harry, and I tell Dan, and I tell James, and I tell Joey in Bible study in front of everybody, what happens is we no longer were in a safe space, and what they're not going to do is call me to forgive them, although some of, actually most of you probably would, but, but they're not going to call me to forgive, they're going to be like, oh poor baby Kyle that he did that to you. And now what happens is those 10 people are also ticked at Josh. Do you see how that happens? Unforgiveness multiplies. If I don't do it with safe people and a safe space, and a safe person is the person that says, I'm so sorry that happened to you, let's work on forgiving, let's pray about that right now. That is the process of forgiveness. And the process of forgiveness, Sean Aniquis says, is like taking this grand piano, pushing it across the room, and coming back tomorrow and finding it right back here. So I have to get back on the piano and push it across the room, and the next day it's back, but over the process of forgiveness, the piano kind of starts to stay a little closer to over there. And when the piano stays all the way over there through this prayerful processing, when the piano stays all the way over there, I have arrived at the place of forgiveness, which looks like a house, because I think I'm terribly clever. Um, It looks like a house. It's a place of forgiveness. And the place of forgiveness is the place where my interactions with this person are no longer tainted by what happened. Somebody that really wounded us, we, we were apart from them because we moved and we, were, we didn't see them for like three or four months. And when we saw them, my stomach clenched and I thought, okay, we're still in the process of forgiveness for this person. We saw them about six months later, still a little weird, not as bad, still in the process of forgiveness. Saw them last May, totally great. It was like, okay, we have arrived in the place of forgiveness toward these people. It took me like mm, four years. It's a long time of moving the piano across the room, right? And that didn't mean that I went running back in and exposed myself to all the ways they could possibly hurt. I mean, I was a little more careful about what I said and how I exposed myself to them and all these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, I was operating in a place of forgiveness. A place of forgiveness means that I can sustainably and in an ongoing way live out of a place of forgiveness toward a person. I can live at a place where what they did to me doesn't come to mind immediately where I'm not calculating all of these things, right? Where I'm not living wounded. The goal is for us to live in a place of forgiveness. So you do this work, and by the way, it's work. This is why church and sermons are what? They're the beginning, not the end. Because I cannot catalyze or magically wave a wand to make you forgive somebody. The only thing you can decide today is whether or not you're going to start a process of forgiveness and engage in that process over the next however long. That's the only thing you can decide. I cannot make that. Jesus is not a magic wand and he is not an easy button, right? On the other side of that forgiveness then, I have released that person of my debt. So we were, we were negative and I have brought us back to zero reconciliation is how I now make that relationship even better than it was before the thing happened. 
you are commanded in Scripture to forgive everyone and everything as Jesus forgave you. See, that's the thing. If it wasn't forgive as Jesus forgave you, we'd be fine, right? No loopholes in the forgive as Jesus forgave you. You are not called to reconcile with everyone. I had a, I had a professor in undergrad who was abused by his father growing up, and nobody ever believed him because his dad was a super famous missionary. And, uh, and uh, so... Um, he, my professor and his family and his kids, they're attending a church and now his dad decides he's going to start coming to this church and my professor and his wife get kicked out of the church because they won't sit next to them in church. You do not expose your children to the abuse that happened to you. You do not need to reconcile with your abuser. You need to forgive them. Once you have married somebody, you have committed to always reconciling with them unless in the case it is of abuse. And in that moment, that backing out and that breaking off of relationship, there's a concession within Scripture because God's desire for you is not to stay in a place of emotional, physical abuse. Okay? Separation can be really good before divorce because the goal in covenant is always reconciliation. But sometimes that just can't happen. Sometimes one partner won't reconcile in that moment, then there's some concessions in Scripture and we walk through that together. Okay? But short of that abuse, reconciliation. And it's hard and it's ugly and it's really hard. And the hard part about preaching about forgiveness is there's like a million different case studies. Well, what about like this exception in this case? Da, 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 da. I can't answer that from every single one. I can say the bottom line of scripture is what? Forgive as Christ forgave you. Moving toward reconciliation where that makes sense. But it is good news for those of us that have been in really bad spots to know that we don't have to reconcile with our abuser. You do not need to reconcile with a toxic person. You just need to forgive them. So how do we make this journey? How does Joseph make this journey? Kind of got teacher mode hat, and then this thing's going to end, and we're just going to sing and go home. Um, how does Joseph make this journey? Well, first of all, he cries a lot, okay? You can, and, and the reason he cries a lot is because he is looking directly at what happened to him. You cannot forgive that which goes unnamed, until you name it for what it is, you cannot forgive it, okay? And the reason that's important, again, in marriage is a good example, is often we're fighting about something that we're not actually fighting about, right? And so you actually need to name what it is, and usually that naming is a mourning and a grieving. And so Joseph cries lots, and he names what happened to him in safe spaces with safe people, namely in his marriage. It's when his kids are born that he says, right, like I, God has caused me to forget all these things. It's how he processes in this safe space. And he's creating safe space with his brothers in 42, 43, and 44. And 45, that's the process of forgiveness that he goes through. But this is even more important, and this is where it works as the people of Jesus. In order for us to forgive, we have to root what happened to us in the context of a larger story. Luke is ready for some Starbucks back there. That is awesome. <laughs> um, um, we have to root what happened to us in the context of a larger story, okay? And this is kind of conceptual, but really important. Um, Joseph looks at what happens to him, and he doesn't erase it. He tries. He tries to forget, but he can't erase it. He has to walk through the gauntlet of forgiveness, not forgetfulness. And so for Joseph, 
that means rooting what happened to him into, in terms of a larger story and a larger context, right? And so Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good and for the saving of many lives. That's Genesis 50. He comes to a place of forgiveness and stays there by rooting what happened to him in the context of what God was trying to do. That's healing. Healing is not getting rid of this thing. Healing is incorporating what happened to us into the story that God is trying to tell in the universe and through our lives. Healing is when the thing that happened to us is now incorporated into the tapestry and the fabric of our life and our story and our ministry to one another and into the story that God is telling. Even if that story is, this is not what God wanted, but God could use it for something else. I was talking to a friend this week just about some real serious brokenness that by the Lord's grace, man, there's just like so much healing in this person's life. Um, and we were just having a lot of conversations about this, um, and it was so good. And then his question was like, you know, what role do you think this plays in my ministry to people? Um, and so we began to talk about what it looks like for God to use this brokenness and this thing that wasn't God's ultimate desire for him, that wasn't God's best for him, this deep wounding, to ultimately see then be used as part of what God is trying to do through this person's life and in the story that God is telling, we have to root it. There is no forgive and forget there is no erasing. I, I said this already, but I want to say it again. Isaiah 43, 25, for example, says, I, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. See, it doesn't mean that they disappear. When God says he forgets something, it's not that it goes out of his mind like most things go out of my mind, right? What it means is that he just chooses not to take action on the basis of those things. And this is something Bob and Pam said too uh, while they were with us. So you'll notice like in stories of infertility in the Old Testament, it'll say like, and God remembered Hannah and caused her to conceive. It wasn't because like God hadn't been remembering and then saw the post-it note on his desk. It's that God decided in that moment to take action. When God says, I forget these things, he just chooses not to take action on them, but he doesn't forget them. Forgive and forget would mean that Jesus wouldn't have scars on his hands when we see him. Jesus will have scars on his hands when we see him face to face, which means that somehow our woundedness goes with us. And if you're interested in a super academic read that I loved, a guy named Miroslav Volf has written a book called The End of Memory. And, it is, and, and Miroslav Volf is a theologian who was born on the other side of the Iron Curtain and was in his teens when the Iron Curtain fell. So his whole theology of suffering is very interesting because it was very real. Uh, and his whole book is about what do we remember in heaven of the bad things that happened to us, right? So the bad things that happened to me, my past, he says they do not disappear. It's just that we enter a state of them not coming to mind. Thank you, Jesus, right? Because that's what we want. Our past is always coming to mind. Miroslav Volf, the end of memory. Have it on your desk because it also just makes you look very smart because there's a guy named Miroslav, right? Um, it is not forgive and forget. Instead, it is an incorporation of what happened to us into our story. And for Joseph, that means contextualizing it in what happened to what, what you did to me, you meant for evil, but God intended for the good and for the saving of many lives. For uh, it, it, contextualizing, it means somehow getting 20,000 feet above what happened to you to see it again in that larger arc of what God is doing in the universe, which, thank you, Jesus, bends toward justice. But kind of walking that out, 
and for the people of Jesus, we were talking about this in our house the other day, Sarah and Aaron, and, uh, Steph and Aaron and I, and we were talking about this, and, and, um, and the reality is we have an even better, deeper story to kind of root this is what, what root of what happened to us in, and it's the story of Jesus. Like Jesus himself, who was like abused for our sake, who was stripped naked for our sake, right? Who knows mockery and betrayal, who knows all of these things, carries them to the cross and, and somehow in his suffering is transformed into what God has always intended. That's the same thing with us. The story of the cross shapes us. And so that's why when, when, when Paul says, forgive one another as Christ forgave you, I mean, double click on how did Jesus forgive me, and you go back and read all of the story of the Gospels, of Jesus' perfection, of, of his beating, of all of the sin and the shame that he himself experienced and finds transformed for him. We forgive, and so we, we root what happened to us in, the, in this. Do you, if you wonder what it's like to feel abandoned, Jesus knows that. If you know what it's like to feel alone, Jesus knows that. If you want to know, if you know what it's like to despair, Jesus knows that. If you know what it's like to be beaten and abused in body or soul or mind or emotions, Jesus knows that. He became in every way like the brothers and the sisters, it says. So we root our story in the forgiveness of Jesus. We root it in that story. We contextualize it in that. And it doesn't make it go away, Right? It doesn't stay, but what happens is it stays in the past because it finds healing. This thing that happened to us stays there. It stops coming up, and I always think of the puppet, right? Like it comes up inside of you and grabs a hold and takes control. It doesn't do that. It stays in the past because we rooted it in the story. We incorporated it into our lives, and now it stays in the past. And what we transmit is no longer this woundedness. What we transmit is that freedom and lightness, and that's the thing you want to transmit to your kids. That's the thing we want to transmit to our spouses. That's what we want to transmit in our sibling relationships. C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. It is not an option for us to go on with unforgiveness. It is not an option. It is not an option for us to say that we belong to the people of Jesus. It's not an option for us to say that we follow Jesus and go on in unforgiveness. And that's hard. And it's a matter of discipleship and walking with people through that in a small group, perhaps on a Friday evening in this building on, at 6.30. It is the matter of processing that through with a counselor or a spiritual director and, and working that out because it is hard work to move that piano. But at the same time, when the piano stays there, boy, is there light and freedom to that because you're no longer dragged down by these things. Do you know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Yes, absolutely nothing. Especially in this case, because this watch is broken. Um, just like how it looks. Let me pray. God, thank you that you uh, have forgiven us in Christ. Um, God, thank you that you offer that forgiveness to us. Thank you that you want to offer us that forgiveness so that we can experience it in the things that have hurt us. God, I pray that even as these things come to mind, you would help us to be in that hard work, that you would give us the courage to let go of justice and entrust it into your hands.
Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had to write a paper on communion the other day and uh, came across this quote, which I thought was really good. Through the Eucharist, which is the Greek word for Thanksgiving, the Eucharisteo is how we talk about it. When we take communion together every week as a community, right? Because we love religion. No. Because we believe that the presence of Jesus is there at the table with us. He meets us at this place. Through the Eucharist, we receive healing and are enabled to aid in the healing of others. Sozo, the, Greek, the root of the Greek word used in the New Testament for healing, is also translated as salvation and wholeness. Much of this healing is spiritual, but it also includes the healing of our thoughts and emotions, of our minds, of bodies, of our attitudes and relationships. The grace received at the table of the Lord can make us whole. I got like emotional when I read it. Like I was like, this is why we do this. Because the grace uh, received at the table of the Lord can make us whole. Healing for our bodies and our minds, but also for our hearts and our emotions. Healing and wholeness for our relationships so that we can aid in the healing of others. And I like that word aid. I do not control. I do not manufacture. I just aid. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he offered it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, later in the supper, he took the cup and he offered to his disciples and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new arrangement in my blood. It is given for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We come to this table broken and needing grace. And at every time we come, Jesus is ready to give it to us. Every time. Every time. Um, and so the way that we practice this uh, is you'll come forward, we'll rip off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup as if it were a nacho, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, and uh, the reason we rip it off and hand it to you um, is because grace is received, it is never taken. And we break the metaphor if I just hold out the bread and you rip off a chunk. Jesus is not a, a gumball machine. Okay, he offers himself to us freely and offers that healing. If you have a pulse this morning, if you are breathing air, you are welcome to this table. And I don't care if like you and Jesus, like your relationship status on Facebook would be like, it's complicated. That's fine. Because even once you come to know him, it's, it gets even more complicated, right? Um, and so um, Vanessa, coming out of retirement, and, uh, um, and uh, Steph and Mitch, would you come and help me? We have gluten-free, too. I don't know if that does anything for anybody. So, Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ, that in the eating and drinking of them, we might receive the healing that you promise. 
in our bodies and in our minds and in our hearts and our souls that we might aid in the healing and wholeness of others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The table is ready. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise our God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I love this. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Um, May you find the freedom that you were made for this week um, and may you forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Love the snot out of you. I'll uh, see you next week.